This is 3 and 5 on SLC Management Podcast. Hi, everybody. It's Steve Peacher at SLC Management again. Thanks for dialing in to this episode today. Once again, I believe I've got as guest Tim Boomer, Senior Managing Director and Head of Client Solutions at SLC Management. Tim, thanks for taking a few minutes. Thanks for having me, Steve. So today we want to talk about LDI or liability-driven investing, which relates to pension plans. And this is a topic we've talked with Tom Murphy about on a recent 3 and 5 podcast. And Tim talked about recent improvements in funding status for DB plans, I think largely related to the rise in interest rates. But then there's been a lot of other volatility in the market. You're in the middle with your team, in the middle of conversations with plan sponsors. What are you hearing about as it relates to funded status of corporate DB plans? Yeah, thanks, Stephen. I think you hit it on the head. You know, the improvements in funded status have really been pretty staggering across the board. So, speaking about the U.S., you know, corporate defined benefit plans specifically, depending how you measure it, the average funded status is probably up close to 105% now, which is up almost 7% since the start of the year and about 15% since the end of 2020. And that's the same theme in in other areas too. So, in Canada, the median solvency ratio is probably up 10% over that same period. And like you said, for almost everyone, the main driver has really been that sell-off in rates as well as widening of credit spreads. And both of those contribute to higher discount rates, which drive down liabilities and improve funder status. Um, In terms of how people are responding, there's there's a few different camps. So on one hand, there's a lot of folks who have already put in place plans to de-risk as funder status improves. And we've really seen those flows happening from growth assets to hedging assets as people hit glide path triggers. On the other hand, I think there's still a camp of plan sponsors who are sitting on the sidelines and wondering if rates maybe have a little bit more room to run before they take their foot off the gas. Uh, so I'd, I'd say I'm always very wary of telling people how much risk they should be taking. We do a lot of work with plan sponsors to understand the risks and to help quantify them. But at the end of the day, people do know their own businesses better than we do, and they know the risks that they can bear in the plan. But this does feel like one of those moments to me when there's a real opportunity to lock in some of those funded status gains. And we've seen historical periods like this where the run-up in funded status you know, doesn't last too long. It can be a bit fleeting. And so I think a lot of plan sponsors maybe have more to lose at this point than they do to gain by leaving their chips on the table. And the final thing I'd say is that on the subject of rising rates, we always have to remind ourselves that yield curves are already pricing in the market's expectations for rate moves. So if we're sitting on the sideline, it really means that we're not just thinking rates might rise, but really that you think rates are going to rise further or faster than the general consensus. And my experience is there aren't many people who are really great at timing that kind of decision. You know, it may be counterintuitive for some of our listeners who aren't really tied in to LDI strategies and pension fund funding status to think that funding status is improving when they see equity markets going down and volatility in the markets. But it just speaks to how sensitive funding status is to interest rate levels and that a rise in interest rates actually is positive for funding status as is a rise in credit spread. So so given that you've seen this big improvement of funding status, it's amazing that it's on average over 100% now, I think is what you just said. And as plans think about de-risking, what are some of the things they need to think about or to do specifically? I think that the point you bring up about rate rising being a positive for pension plans is something that we have to remind ourselves, you know, every time we look at overall fixed income performance, you know, we still want to be beating our benchmarks, but when those benchmarks are down, it's generally good news for pension plan sponsors because they're seeing a a bigger move on their liabilities. In terms of specifics, first, I'd say that whether it's with SLC or a different LDI focused manager, any de-risking is probably a sensible move for a lot of DB plans at the moment in the current environment. Pension plans tend to have a bit of an asymmetric risk profile. So as funded status goes up, 
you know, they have less to gain than they, they do to lose. And despite some of the nuances that I can get into, the main things people can still do to lock in some of those fundus status gains is to dial down some equity exposure, get their hedge ratio up to reflect their current fundus status, and focus on hedging some of the spread exposure inherent in their liabilities. Where it gets a little more nuanced is that as plan sponsors are moving down the glide path, there's generally a couple of things happening. One is that they're typically getting more concentrated in certain asset classes. So in the US, that might be investment-grade corporates or treasuries. In Canada, it might be more a mix of corporates and provincials. The second is that they're giving up some of the upside from the equity allocation. So there's a few things we can do. One is, I'd say, to always take a look at how, you know, as we allocate more to the fixed income portfolio, if we have multiple managers, what's the overlap in terms of holdings and style? How's the tracking error relative to liabilities? Really question, are we getting a diversified credit exposure in that portfolio? The second thing I take a look at is maybe what's likely to drive future funder status volatility. And that might be different to what drove volatility in the past as we got here. So typically... As our plans move down their glide paths, they tend to hedge some of the broader equity and duration risks. And that means that some of the more nuanced risks like credit exposure and curve risks can actually become bigger drivers of a funded status volatility. And that often makes custom solutions you know, a more attractive option for late stage plans. And then finally, I'd say really questioning if there's other ways to expand the de-risking toolkit that we're using. So today, specifically, we see a lot of value in some of the asset classes like investment-grade private credit or real estate or infrastructure that don't fit neatly in those traditional black and white definitions of growth and hedging buckets. And these are some of the assets that insurance companies have used to back long-term liabilities, and they offer some extra upside, some diversification to traditional assets, and they can also generate long-term stable cash flows that can be used to meet benefit payments. So I think your comments just highlight how, how complicated this, this is when you try to think of all these different factors to build the optimal portfolio in a given environment for a fund as, as its funding status has changed. As you referred to, and I referred to you know, a few minutes earlier, there's a lot going on in this environment other than just rise in rates. And this may be a technical question, so I ask it with some trepidation, given that you're an actuary, so you might jump too much into the details. But outside of the obvious improvements to a plan from a rise in rates, what are some of the other implications for plan sponsors in the current environment? So I, I do try and keep the actuarial talk to a minimum, Steve. And I, I know my mom likes to listen to these podcasts and she'll probably switch off at this point. So I'm going to, I'll try and keep it high level. Um, I would push back on one thing there. We can make it sound very complicated. The truth is generally the principles of liability-driven investing are, are fairly straightforward. And there are a lot of kind of very simple things people can do. I think it gets a bit more nuanced as you really get towards those later stages. And that's what we're talking about with some of these points. In terms of some of the other impacts on pension plans in the current environment, you know, when I think about open plans, those ones which still have benefits accruing or um, ones with index benefits, you know, where the actual benefit level increases with, with some link to inflation or another assumption. And those are a lot more common in the UK and Canada. Um, I think in those, we really have to be aware of the impacts of inflation on some of those assumptions that the actuary is using and what that could do to fund the status. I think it's really going to be interesting to see how actuaries are reflecting that inflation outlook, as I'm not sure there's really a general consensus today on how persistent inflation will be or how effective central bank policy is going to be curbing it over the long term. And then maybe in the US specifically, when we think about cash balance plans, which lots of people will attest I'd, I'd love to talk about, they have some really interesting dynamics going on at the moment in the current market. Typically, for those who are less familiar with cash balance plans, they're, they're often the open part of a traditional defined benefit plan. They have a slightly different benefit structure, but they often get rolled in and invested alongside traditional final salary plans, which can work out great. And in other cases, it could be really wide of the mark. And with cash balance plans, what's really important to look at is 
the interaction of two assumptions. So it's the, the rate at which we're projecting the benefits forward, and that's the interest crediting rate, and the rate at which we're discounting it today, and that's the discount rate that we use. And the interaction of those assumptions can really dictate the drivers of risk in the plan. And what we've seen recently is there's a lot of cash balance plans where they have a flaw in one of those assumptions, so a minimum crediting rate. And for the first time in a long time, we're really seeing interest rates get up close to that floor or even move past it. And what that does is it really causes the duration or the risk exposures of that plan to swing around pretty wildly, which as an actuary, personally, I find pretty exciting. I'm not sure everybody would, but it makes for some really interesting hedging solutions. So if anyone has a cash balance plan and they want to talk about it, my doll's always open, Steve. Well, it's funny you mentioned your mother. My mother actually emailed me a few months ago and said, hey, I, I listened to your the 3 and 5 podcast. I thought, how did you get in touch with that? And there's a lot going on in your comments, and there's a lot that we could drill down on. Unfortunately, we just don't have the time. But I wanted to ask you one final question. In our last podcast, I think we talked about your hobby of surfing. And I think we were talking about, maybe we were talking about sharks or whatever. But I heard you've had a, a, another recent mishap of surfing. So give us the two, 20 seconds on that. Yeah, I think last time you asked me about sharks, this time I, I had a lot less glamorous interaction in that I went to catch a few waves and instead I caught a surfboard to the nose. More embarrassingly, it was my own surfboard. And I, I did break my nose and at the same time discovered that I had more blood to lose than I thought. Um, the interesting thing was, as I lay there in a pool of blood on my board, very few people seemed to come over to help me, which I think reflects your prior question around fear of sharks, Steve. And also on the subject of mothers, it was the one day my mother's ever been to watch me surf, and I walked out of the water covered in blood head to toe. So, you know, like all, all grown men, I was happy to have my mom there. She was probably less happy to, to see the state I was in as I walked out. Well, you, you'll have to craft a, a more of a He-Man story around the yeah. I mean, it certainly has to involve a bar fight of some sort. So. Yeah. Well, Tim, thanks for taking the time. And thanks to everybody, especially our mothers, if they happen to be listening, for listening to this episode of 3 and 5. Thanks a lot, Steve. <laughs>